Welcome to this very special episode of Chew the Fat Pad. This is the podcast where we talk to industry leaders about the issues that face injectors around the world. Today, I am joined by an extremely special guest, extremely special to me, of course, because she's my wife, Miranda Pierce, but she's also an internationally renowned marketeer, shortly to speak in front of 7,000 people at one of the biggest marketing conferences in the world, which we will unpack together in the show. And today I'm going to bring some of her key insights to help you as an injector. We're here to help the good guys win in the industry. So let's dive in. Welcome, Miranda. Hi, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. We used to do the podcast together, didn't we, back in 2020? Yep. And yeah, we and were we, known we as stopped, Tinanda. We stopped for no particular reason. It kind of just drifted. And then it so happened that you had lots of other things you needed to do and we kept going. But many of you will recognize her from back in the day. Um, and by the way, if you're watching this and you see a golden retriever running around in the background, that's our dog, Albie, because when we both work together, we have to bring our babies with us. Let's dive in to some of the most important things that you've learned through marketing in your now 15-year career building a, an aesthetic business in Manchester, Skin Beaver and Skin Beaver Training, and then on to what you now do now, uh, teaching marketing to injectors. So let's dive in. I think one of the most Probably the most important question I think we could help our audience with is, what's the hardest thing about marketing? The hardest thing about marketing is putting, exposing yourself with marketing, putting yourself in the heart of your marketing. Because people know now that if they don't, they will be boring. They'll just be a cardboard cutout. They'll be a robot. But yet they don't want to. We don't. We didn't want to either. We didn't want to put ourselves out there. And that's definitely the hardest thing at first. If the hardest thing is putting yourself out there, what do you see clinicians doing when they try and confront this issue, but they make a mistake and wonder why their marketing isn't working? You mean when they try and put themselves out there or when they avoid putting themselves out there? Well, what I see clinicians doing is they put out a fake version of themselves. Yeah. So they are out there, but it's not the real them because they're too afraid to put their real selves out there and, and, that, and they wonder why it doesn't work. It just doesn't resonate. It's basically, the, I believe that all clinicians have been culturally trained by the first part of their career, which is hospital medicine, whatever, to naturally, the, the idea is that you aren't professional if you are putting your soul into something. That's, does that resonate with you? That's, that's, that's a belief that you can't show your full self. You can't tell your patients about the fact that your kid's ill. You, can't, you certainly can't tell them where you live or that you were having a bad day. You have to show up and be professional. But actually, the problem is that that doesn't build true connection. That doesn't build true trust. So you, if you really want to put yourself, if you really want to succeed on any marketing, even if it's writing blogs on the internet or even making a newspaper article or a billboard, there has to be that heart, there has to be a story behind what you're saying or else the people won't be bothered to even listen. So the mistake is thinking that you need to be this robotic perfect version of yourself. That's interesting. So you, you said this story. Um, you're, you're absolutely correct. If, there, if you're trying to be extremely professional, you are essentially decapitating your story from the situation so you you are because if your definition of professionalism is that there's nothing of me here my personal individuality there's only a professional role then you've deleted the story and you're just a talking head you might as well be ai you know when you go to the shops and there is a cardboard cutout of a policeman and they're trying to deter you from stealing that's what you are you're a cardboard cutout and people are just like oh whatever they keep scrolling they don't think there's a cardboard cutout, but they just think this is boring. I don't want to, I'm not connected with this person emotionally. And just interestingly, going back to the point around when you are face to face with an actual patient, whether it be in hospital medicine or whether it be in aesthetics, they see your soul coming out in your expressions, coming out in your body language. They know they are cared for. Whereas if you shop on social media, like, hello, hello, how are you? I am a robot. I am really professional, honest. Then they don't see your soul and they just believe that they just think you're boring. So I sometimes look at content, like I've released content on the, basically the same structure and the same content as someone else. And for whatever reason, mine does a little bit better. And I've, I've talked to you about this off air many times, um, trying to figure out what it is with that. Like why, 
why why do you think some clinicians will produce the same content but get, get a different result and can you kind of maybe explore with me what you think is going on in the clinician's head that is creating that that different vibe yeah they are answering one question which is how can i not fail here and you are asking answering a question how could i serve my audience how can i speak my truth how can i get to the bottom of this you know these are all empowering questions that's a really interesting distinction and it, you're absolutely correct and and i have of course made in my time many inauthentic videos at the beginning um, yeah so because you it's a means to an end and you have to you kind of confront it and you can hear yourself almost like being a puppet and i hate that feeling i was very acutely aware of the times when i was just saying the thing i thought i had to say um some of my earliest videos i i'm i'm other actually did well are actually when i'm trying to solve a problem so i used to make videos for the people on the skin fever training network and I'd put them on youtube not thinking anyone would ever watch them on youtube i thought i'd just share them into the group and lo and behold they did well but i actually looked super nervous <laughs> but I, i knew i had to explain a problem so people that although i looked nervous i also looked authentic in some way and then people knew the information was going to be good somehow but that was a learning process i had to go through So it's I think the that's a super useful idea is that you need to get in touch with the problem that you're solving rather than for your patient not the problem you're solving for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You what clinicians do is they approach let's take a video on social media for example and they are literally thinking I hate my accent I might have snot on my nose what happens if I say the wrong thing and a colleague calls me out all these things running through their mind and they show up at the camera with all that pain they feel vulnerable and what they need to do is flip the board and think about the vulnerability of their audience member who is thinking oh no my husband's not going to want me to have treatment oh no the the women at the school gates are going to judge me when they see i've had botox oh no maybe i should i'm a bad mum because i spent too much they talk to their think about their vulnerabilities and you will win mhm So that's that's I think that's I think it's one of the probably one of the things that's most obvious on a subconscious level to the viewer is who's this video for is it for me or is it for them and I can see this across the board it's like an instant you think okay you're here for you and I don't actually judge people I think fair enough be here for you but I'm scrolling on because I'm looking for someone who's here for me that I think it's a really useful idea to to think about it that way and it takes a discipline to empathize with people and I think one of the hardest things is as soon as you're about to be videoed you start to feel vulnerable yourself and that makes you think about yourself and then you're no longer thinking about your audience. So what I'm hearing from you is your core message is you you have to tap into what your patients are looking for the vulnerability that they have and not the vulnerability that you have which is hard but that's the skill. If I said to anyone listening to this now how do you feel when i tell you and then insert deep vulnerability that their patients have you know for example some people one of the most intimate th- reasons that people come for treatment is that they want to get back to having intimacy with their partner you know like sexual intimacy but they feel like they can't because they don't feel that they're on their front foot physically so that's incredibly incredible there couldn't be anything more vulnerable than that now if i say that to the listener here now the clinicians they're going to feel like oh my god oh no that's really hard i i i would love to give them some sexy lips so they feel better with their partner think about those things instead of about yourself and the game changes it 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 really does it it's absolutely everything and i just want to say as well you might think well i can't do that miranda actually you are doing it when you are face to face with patients everyone here listening to this you are amazing face to face you build beautiful connections you walk away you've had a laugh you've joked about you know the fact that you're both going through a divorce or whatever it might be plus you've given them a nice beautiful pair of lips be that online and we can talk about how we get there but that's what it is you have the superpower already so I 100% it is a journey to get there but that that is the the holy grail and in fact I would say if there's one thing that's worked for me to get to that point it's just attrition. Yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> Because I mean remember we once paid thousands for a for a public speaking course and and 
honestly, it made zero difference to me because the real problem was not that I didn't know which hand to gesture with. It was that I was in my head the whole time instead of actually talking to the people who needed me. And I, one of the ways I solved that we might discuss is literally what we're doing now with podcasts. Being prompted by another human is much easier for me to answer a question than when I'm just trying to talk to someone who I don't think is actually listening. So... Um, when you but, say attrition, you mean lots of it. Like yeah, just you, keep going. Mm. You've got to find your voice. That's what it's called. So initially you don't have a voice. You're trying to be, you're trying these different things and it feels uncomfortable and clunky. But if you keep going, eventually you'll stumble, you'll stumble across something that works for you and then you can be much more prolific. It's, it's actually one of your key messages that we, you and I have slightly disagreed with, but I realized that you were correct. Tell us a little bit about your view on, uh, on volume and, and production values. Yeah, this is so fascinating. So we, we've been together 24 years. We've been in business together 15 years. And when we started marketing in earnest, I was always in the camp of volume. Do lots of marketing every day. Obviously, try your best. I wasn't, you know, doing it terribly. But I famously will go around the garden in my dressing gown and I will talk to people. The reason I do that is because it's part of my morning regime. So I want to hook my content onto my morning regime so that I actually do it, so that I am consistent. And that's one of my superpowers is that I believe in consistency. Whereas you, although of course you liked my morning walks, you, there was a sense we would argue, you say it's better if you do one banging piece of content, maybe a week instead of, you know, multiple, um, you know, a day. And I, I think it's both. It's definitely both. You need quantity and quality, but I would just say to people, I know my audience, Tim, and like, I know the people listening to this here now are not even doing any, like sometimes they'll go a whole two weeks without anything. And that's not actually because they're busy. It's because they fear they're looking stupid or, you know, they don't think it'll be good enough. So I believe you have to bludgeon your own lizard brain with, with volume before, so that you find out who you who you are what your voice is and all of that but also so that you just get into a pattern of behavior yeah so for me the thing that links to this so technically on social media um and on youtube quality gets disproportionate reach but the idea that you help me with is that if you you will never get quality until you do quantity so you have and it's it's what we've basically been through as a couple which is that you you start putting out clunky stuff and you just keep going and then then you discover how to do it better and better and better and then the quality comes. But I think what stops a lot of clinicians is the idea of I'm not releasing anything. In fact, the number of times I've heard this, I want to start a podcast, but I want it to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I want I want all the lighting and all the like you look back at our podcast, we just sat in a spare room in Skin Viva and it, the first one was just with a normal camera without even a proper microphone. It sounded awful and no one listened to it. But it went out and the next week I bought a microphone. And that went out and then we got better at structuring it. And eventually, you know, you, you have a podcast. But if you wait to be perfect, which for me is, I think, one of your most important messages is, is if you wait to be perfect, you're, you're never going to get anything. You're, you're not going to be perfect and you're going to just stand there waiting. So start imperfectly and get it out there and then you'll, you will get better as, as you go. Um, There's something really important as well about imperfection is that it builds, it is relatable because your audience is also imperfect and that builds trust. Now, there is a line, you know, if, if we were to just film ourselves on the toilet, you know, every day, obviously we would, people would not believe we were competent as well. But because I am willing to show up without makeup, because I am willing to keep going, even if I fluff my lines, people think, God, you know what, I, I do that as well. Or I she seems like my kind of gal. I emotionally trust her. And that goes a long way. It goes way, way further than you think. Some of my students will be spotted in their local supermarket and, and the people come up to them and they're like, oh, wow, I can't believe it's you. I feel like I know you. And that's because they've been vulnerable on their social media and they've built those connections, those synapses of trust and, 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 and regard. You know, they are liked. Why do you think a clinician needs to share their vulnerabilities. Like what, what is going on in a patient's mind when they see a clinician sharing some imperfection or doubt? Think about this. If we get out of our own head and we truly step into the shoes of a patient, it's really vulnerable act going 
to a clinician lying on a bed like that and saying, please inject me in the face with a piece of metal. For example, I think of, if I wasn't your wife, I would look at you, I'd be like, oh goodness, you know, Dr. Tim, you know, he's very intelligent and, you know, he, he's got his shit together. Now, imagine that I've been hammering the sunbeds for 15 years and imagine that I have not been doing any skincare. I've got terrible acne. It's clear that I smoke, whatever. I might, I might think if you didn't show up to marketing as, the, as you do, that you would actually just judge me. So now I don't want to be vulnerable with you. I don't want to say I want this, 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 and this. I might come and say, oh, I feel bad. Like I really should look after my skin better. So you've got to allow them to not feel judged. Mm. So uh, this is interesting because I think a lot of people think that competence, if you're extremely competent, you you actually should judge. It's a sign of competence to be judgmental, put it that way, because I've got all the answers so I can tell you that you're off the piece, you know, and I see this much more with doctors than with, and I'll say this as a doctor, than I do with nurses. There's the sense of um, I'm the world expert, so I'll just make you feel inferior all the way through <laughs> by telling you all the different things and mistakes you've made so that you know for sure that I'm I'm the hero here. Um, it's really common. Now, I actually think it works to a degree. I think some patients think that he must be an expert or she must be an expert if they have such strong opinions. And they go, they trade the emotional comfort for the the sense of certainty that they actually know what they're talking about. They don't enjoy the process. It's very vulnerable. And you, and you probably put it off for an extra year before you go and ask. But at the same time, it does tick a box of competence. And I think it's, it's this idea which you explained so well, of separating competence from the other forms of trust. You can both be really competent and non-judgmental. Um, and the difference for me is this word guide, which is the thing I've been talking about for years, which is that you don't have to be a judge, you can be a guide. A guide understands that people are flawed, but that's, part, that's their job is to help get them on the right path. Mm-hmm. A judge is cross with people who are flawed and just tells them you're not enough. And um, that, that is, I think patients are subconsciously looking for competence first. I think it's the most important one. But you don't, you also want the other things you've discussed, which is that, that vulnerability. There's a real person here who, who knows that I'm a real person and I'm not perfect and I've made mistakes. And that's fine because we're all human. That's kind of what vulnerability yeah. is. And what, is there anything else other than those two that, you've, that you teach? You've also got to get them over the line, like get them booked. You have to be thinking about, I'll use the word sales, but you actually haven't sold anything to them yet. They're just booking in with you. You have to go for the kill. You have to, you have to ask the question, like, are you ready to book? Let's get you booked. You know? So it's those four things. Why do you think clinicians don't ask that question? I think partly it doesn't occur to them. You know, especially if you come from a public sector background, you you almost have this belief of, I will, in fact, I knew someone who, and they had a, a long career and they really didn't get that many promotions in their career. And there was a sense of, you know, I didn't get what I was due, but actually the reflection afterwards, this person realizes that really I should have asked more. I should have schmoozed a bit more. I should have made those networking moves. And I think that partly the reason that happened is because this person, it didn't, it, they, they thought they should turn up, be amazing and demonstrate their amazingness and that someone would just pick them. They would be chosen. And there's one thing I've learned to him, like my personal journey into marketing, it's been like a lonely one. Of course I have you, but I did this all by myself. What I talk about is frankly kind of weird in some respects. No one ever picked me. No one ever said, oh, Miranda, will you come on our podcast? Or, oh, Miranda, like, this is amazing. You know, clap, clap, clap. You've got to be willing. Injectors have got to be willing to clap themselves, to show up, even if what they're saying is a little bit out there or it's, you know, it's something they believe in that others don't. You've got to, you, you, you can't, you've got to pick yourself. You've got to ask for the sale. You've got to ask to go on a podcast if you want to. Whatever it is, don't just sit back and be passive. Mm. I agree. I, I think waiting to be picked is probably one of the biggest bottlenecks for progress. You think, if I just am I round and I'm doing the thing, someone will notice. Mm-hmm. And and the meanwhile, the people who are on the inbox, like trying to actually get some action or asking for things, or you know, saying in the bottom of each post, "If you're ready to book in, here's the number. Call today." Yeah, that simple 
kind of instruction of pick like act now yeah. it makes a huge difference that you, you you don't know until you start trying it but there is a sense of vulnerability and asking because then you might be rejected yes so this the second and probably the biggest reason that people don't ask for the sale and say book in today is because of course they think they're going to be judged for being salesy or that they will get rejected it's the same thing you, you, your ego is thinking, I will be, I'm going to be not enough at the end of this interaction. And what I would say that is, it's a numbers game. We always give this example, my friend, Philippa, who's one of my good friends from uni, she got to a point in her 20s where she's like, right, I'm ready for a husband, basically. And, you know, she's a matter of fact kind of gal. She was like, right, it's time to get on the dating sites. She did that. She, ahead of time, thought to herself, do you know what? There, I do not have one soulmate in this world. I probably have in the 60 million people in the in the UK. I probably have. You know, there's a few a few guys who would do it for me. She reckoned. I think the number she came up with was two two in uh, two and a hundred something like Did that. She? One in fifty. Love it. There was there was a number she thought there's probably one in fifty men who I could have a long term relationship with, and so she went into it a bit like that film, but. I'm going to have 50 dates. Exactly. And so she thought, well, if I can have one in 50, I need to have 50 dates. And she accepted that she's going to be rejected or she would reject them, whatever. Whereas I think most people go into the dating scene or the internet marketing scene thinking, "Ah, I don't want to get rejected under any circumstance. I still feel those feelings myself. So you've got to play the numbers and just think to yourself, if I make 100 requests for a sale, X percentage will follow through. I, I remember actually the psychology when I first started using a more premium type of dermal filler. And the first patient I told about it, I told them the price and they said, oh, that's too expensive. And I didn't mention it again for about a year. <laughs> it's really funny to look back because I thought that was a sign that no one's going to pay for this. And currently that product is now 70% of, of the business because I, I came to believe in it. Uh, and then I told everyone about it. And I accept that, you know, three out of 10 people will will reject it. In fact, in the beginning, it was probably seven out of 10 people will reject it. But you've got to offer 10 people before three of them say yes. So it's that that wonderful approach that Philippa showed us of of just going through the numbers. And in fact, I think she met Matt on date number 17. They've been mar- married happily ever after, basically. So 17 in, she she achieved her goal. And how many Instagram posts do you need to make? How many times do you need to offer yourself? I don't know exactly what the number is, but if you keep going, you will absolutely get a result. I sometimes have people in my inbox, they will inject us, they will say to me, Miranda, I've tried everything. What am I doing wrong? Please look at my page. And I'll have a bit of a look. They've done eight posts, eight posts. And I'm just like, to me, being on the other end of it, having done thousands of posts, I understand that that is a naive way of looking at it that you, but, but when I was there, I probably would have thought the same. And I just want to say to you, I want to, want to zone in on what you just said about the moment where you rejected the higher price filler because you, you thought that that, I believe what was going on there is the woman said it's too expensive and you heard, you made that mean Everyone is going to think it's too expensive. Probably a little bit of like, she's judging me. Oh God, I shouldn't have even asked. Oh, all that stuff. Instead of, oh, this is just one person's opinion. And the no, reason... I took it as a very personal rejection. It's a sense of, if I look back at it, the, the emotion, I wouldn't have maybe had the, this, the sentence in my head, but the emotion is very much a, just a flat out rejection of you. Yeah. A lot of people, it's the rejection of... The rejection of your product or offering is the same as the rejection of you. And you feel it's a horrible feeling to say, no, I don't want you. Um, so you, you don't want to confront it again until you reframe it. If you reframe it as I've, I've, got, to, I've got to offer this to 100 people to find the eight that want it, then it's different. But um, it feels, I think it's the same on social media. You post something. I still have a degree of this emotion now. You post something and it falls really badly and fails. You feel rejected. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you get that out of your life, the better. Like it's, you just have to take the feedback, not the knockback and keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that going back to this point around volume, to some extent that comes with volume. I remember saying to Dr. Naomi, uh, Instagram legend, we were on a live with her or something in 2020. And I, so that's three years ago. So I was, I was rocking out on my marketing, but I was still feeling vulnerable. And I said to her, how do you feel when you have posts that flop? And she basically said, I, I have so many that go out that I like I barely even noticed. I, it's on to the next. And I was literally, I was brushing my teeth the other day and I reflected on that exact comment because that's where I'm at now. On to the next. 
Yeah, I'm the same. But I mean, I'm not posting each one these days, but it's there's something about you. I've become I've separated myself like the idea of me from my content. Mm-hmm. There are lots of stuff that goes out that slightly jars with me that's been made, you know, as part of the production system and I can't do it all. Um, and it's fine. Sometimes stuff goes out that's way better than I would have done as well. So it, it's a it's a process, but I've definitely separated my identity from my social media. Uh, but that you only get with experience. Like you can't do that in your head. You have to just post it, let it fail, and eventually your brain goes, it's okay, actually. Mm-hmm. When I fail on social media, I'm still alive in real life. Yes. And I can post again tomorrow. <laughs> but that, could we talk about self-trust and, and confidence? Because the someone inboxed me yesterday and she'd gone for a interview for an injector role in someone else's business. And she'd, she'd inboxed me a couple of days ago and she's like oh, nervous and I gave her a couple of practical things examples of what to say in the interview then she went for the interview immediately inboxed me Randa I feel so much better I did it now she hadn't been told yes or no yet but that second woman was just so different to the first woman because she now has self-trust she now has confidence she believes in her ability to show up even when it's hard and I think a lot of times when people show up to social media for example they're looking for the result they want to have posted they took an hour to make their reel and they kind of feel like they ought to I've spent an hour I ought to have a client out of this or else something's wrong it's like no no you get self-trust out of this you did it now go and do it another 50 times and then you will have built your own, you would have understood your voice better. You'll be better at posting those reels that take you less time. That's the goal. That has to be the goal at the beginning. Get your self-trust tokens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. That's something I, I heard for the first time explained in a sequence um, by Dan Sullivan. And it's the four C's. So it starts with commitment. Uh, a commitment's an interesting one because you've, you've got to be all in. Being 98% in, you might as well not be in. So if you're really saying, that's it, I'm going to really go for social media, it's a different sensation than I might try that, do a few posts and see what happens. So being all in is important. The, the next one is probably the most interesting one, which is courage. Because people want to start with confidence. They don't feel confident. But you don't. You never start anything with confidence. It's never, it never happened to any human. You, you have to have earned that previously. So you, you start with with uh, with courage, which is actually an unpleasant feeling. There's another thing people don't tell you, is that part of the natural process is it feels awful. <laughs> and then once you develop some competence, which you can only really do by implementing good training, so you take a good idea, put it out there, test it, you experience it, you become able to do that, then you have competence. And only then do you get, do you get confidence. So confidence is the last thing that you get. And confidence, another way of saying that is self-trust, which is what you've been talking about. And, and actually, what I've realized, everything we've ever done, the only thing I've ever got of true sustained value is the increase in self-trust. It's the ultimate payback for having a business, that you trust yourself to survive in more situations. Um, it's, it's number one. Like that's actually, I used to think that starting a business was about building a business, but now I, I think the whole process is about building self-trust. That's actually the thing I value most from the whole, everything we've gone through so far building self-trust and also you always say that building a good business involves you I don't know what your exact words are but it involves you putting out your essence into that into that business why do you say that yeah so so this is relates to your point about authenticity if you're if you're not if you're trying to be someone who gets approval you're it's exhausting because it's not really you, so you're putting on a, this weird mask. It's it's a low. It's so much more mental effort than actually just being yourself. Um, but also, when it goes out there, you don't actually feel rewarded because you know it's not really you. Mm. So it's like, okay, maybe it worked, but it's not. It didn't really feel that nice doing it. Probably and is it sustainable? Anyway. I have to show up and fake it again. Yeah. So I I realized in the early stages of my business that it felt right to me when I wasn't f- following some cold business plan that I read in a book, but I actually was doing something for. A, for a reason that I wanted to be so you know a purpose that I felt important so this is the whole conversation about purpose like what is what is the purpose of your life now like what is the what a good a better way of questioning it because I don't think I think purpose people think oh you've got to try and you know solve the world's problems it's more about what what does your life what does life need from you now that's your purpose because we all have live in a context and that context is you know, your family and your past and your situation and the future you want to create for your kids and the people around you and this, the industry that you're in. So the question, what is, 
what does this industry and my situation now need from me, then you're on the path to doing something that has purpose and you'll feel really differently doing that rather than just trying to get some revenue in for your business. Yeah, exactly. And you're more likely to want to show up as well when you remember. It's a bit like people talk about the why, you know, and it can be, we always say, you know, the why doesn't have to be some beautiful like, oh, I'm going to change the world at the beginning. The why could be that you want to put some food on your kid's table or that you want to get a little bit of extra money so you can go on on holidays that's absolutely fine but what what the best businesses are the ones where someone has tapped into a pain that they experienced in their own past for example let's say injectors here listening to this now might have had really bad acne and actually why are you chasing this business like why are you here why do you keep coming back you're probably trying to solve that pain for other people. You don't want people to feel that way that you felt when you had to walk into the pub by yourself alone, you know, with that acne. You don't want them to have that. And I, I know personally, the thing that really drives me is I went through a period in 2016 or it culminated in 2016 of having no self-trust. I procrastinated doing all the things I needed to do in my life and because I didn't have that now I want and now I have it because I clawed it back now I want other people I want to teach people how to get that themselves tell me more about that tell me tell me about what it led to you not having self-trust so I think this will resonate with people I although the circumstance might be different at our business our our med spa I we at that time we had about I don't know, 20 members of staff. So it's like, you know, a substantial small business. And I was still, I was procrastinating. I was scared. I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't want to stand up and say no and put boundaries down with staff or with patients. I didn't want to, I had discount Tourette's and offering people, I'm not a clinician myself, but on the phones, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure. Have another free syringe. I'll book you in for another free syringe, even though we did nothing wrong. I was betraying myself daily in small actions and when you do that for a number of months or years the lizard brain is always keeping count the devil comes back for receipts you know it want it makes you believe that you haven't got power over your environment you can't you won't you you because you've got all this evidence of not taking the actions you need to take and so you don't continue to take any actions. And as a result, I mean, for me, it manifested into depression. Maybe some people listening here will have experience of not taking action to promote their business, for example, or maybe they are doing discount Tourette's as well, or maybe they are allowing themselves to be walked over by a business partner, whatever it might be. If you do that for a long time, you will end up feeling being, I believe on the depression spectrum, which is helplessness. Yeah. So I often say to patients, the, the opposite of depression is control. It's not happiness. And what, what you're saying when you get depressed is I don't have control over this situation. And what I love about what you figured out about that phase of your life is it all came down to one word, um, which is bravery. And I love that because for whatever reason, I hadn't figured that bit out. Like I'm really interested in what makes people move and change. And there's a sequence of having a vision and having a plan and a strategy you believe in. And But there is always a moment of action where it comes down to just the ability to do something you've never done before. That moment where you're where you are brave is the moment that changes everything. Because you can read about the subject and you can have a plan, you can have all the ideas right, but unless you just take that leap, you get nothing for all that work. So t- tell me a little bit about what has enabled you to be braver. And you've done some really brave stuff recently, which we, I need to come back to. But tell me a little bit about bravery. Well, I, you said one word, but I'm going to make it three small, brave steps. I don't want, because bravery sounds like a knight in shining armor and, but it's, it can be as small as Steph sitting up from the sofa when you've been uh, revenge procrastinating, uh, it's 11.30 at night, you know, you're going to be screwed tomorrow because now you've not got your enough amount of sleep, but you don't want to stand up, but you stand up anyway. And the kinds of things that I did, because I, I had this big breakthrough. I, I listened to a Facebook live from Tony Robbins that changed my life. It really was, I'm unusual. It was a road to Damascus moment where I, he said in this Facebook live, you are not your patterns. I'd come to believe that I was my depression. I, 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 I was my overwhelm. I, I was my procrastination. This is just who I was now, it was my identity. 
And but he said, no, 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 no. That's just a little bit of dust that formed on you. You can just push that dust off, just get some new patterns. And so bra- small brave steps for me, they, first of all, it came in routine. So I went, walked around the garden every morning. I did some weird, like, you know, I threw my hands up and did a couple of like, you know, big things and the, the neighbors might have seen me, you know, that was brave. And I would say to myself every morning, this is a Lisa Nichols technique. I would say out loud in the garden, Miranda, I honor you for, and I still do this every single morning. And then I would say just one little tiny thing I'd done the day before, like standing up from the sofa. I forgive you for, which is powerful because I'm forgiving myself. So if I did actually procrastinate yesterday, I say, I forgive you for it. And then I commit to you too. And this is all about intention. This is coming back to those, that self-trust building. If I commit today to doing this podcast, if I commit today to doing one tiny Instagram story with my face on it, even if you filter it up, get your hair nice, whatever you want to do, it's a small, brave step. When you do it on the other end of that small, brave step, you go like this. It's literally like this. (sighs) Can't believe I did it. (laughs) That feeling, we all know that feeling. And that, you didn't win. I didn't get a client from that. No, I got no money came down my way. But I got a notch on my bedpost of self-trust. And I often will be feeling like powerless or whatever. And I'll think to myself, right, I'm just going to do something brave. Do you remember that story with a guy on YouTube who, I can't remember what his problem was, but he had some, you know, depressed or whatever. And he went, oh, maybe he's trying to get better at his job or his sales, or whatever. He went to 50 places like McDonald's, Starbucks, and he asked for a discount. It was exposure therapy. He knew he wasn't going to get the discount. He just wanted to be brave and put that, put the shits up himself, basically. Yeah, I think it was uh, Tim Ferriss. So he, he would go and purposely put himself in a position where he'd be rejected to desensitize himself to rejection and realize that it's actually not as bad as you think. And that makes you braver. And this is going back to this point around, um, you won't die. When I did a small brave thing, which is standing up from the sofa, the lizard brain, which is the amygdala at the base of your brain, the fight, flight or freeze response center goes, all right. Okay, cool. Oh, we won't die there now. Okay, cool. It's very compliant, the lizard brain. Of course, it's always trying to keep you safe, but it does as it's told. If you put a social media post out ten, one, once a day every 10, for 10 days, the lizard brain will go, all right, cool. Yeah, fine. That's okay. I'm not going to die now. That's what we're doing. Yeah. I actually think the ultimate self-trust comes when you, when you um, bravely confront something that you are scared of not just do so for example if you've never had a problem with social media and and i just say here's eight posts i made you will you post them it's not it's not quite the same as you saying i really feel afraid of doing social media but i'm going to do it anyway to desensitize myself it's a different emotion and what the one the one involves you willingly confronting an obstacle which if you get on the other side of it you feel amazing that's meaningful progress if you if you just do it or someone else does it for you you don't you actually don't get any of that benefit so there's something it's back down to the the four c's the courage element like if you can demonstrate courage that's how you get the most amount of self-trust obviously the competence is important too but actually sometimes it's just about the courage mm-hmm. so i i'm using this concept with our kids at the moment teaching them guitar which is the purpose of the lesson is just to do the lesson i actually don't care whether they put their fingers exactly on the right spot or the the strings buzz um it's just to go through the motions of doing it every single day and and we're getting we're making huge progress but my old model might have been don't move off the first chord until all the all the strings sound perfect now it's like, I don't care if they buzz or they're not quite in exactly the right spot. We're doing the whole song mm-hmm. and it's ugly, but they get through it. They get, the, they get some self-trust from making all that progress and then they get better each day. So it's a, it's a different model of how to progress. Mm, absolutely. So let's make this super real for people. What do you think, using some of the ideas that you've talked about, what do you think it's like for patients trying to make a decision about booking and and what sequence should we be trying to put them through to actually get them to take action? Well, first of all, it starts with attention. We have to get the attention of those people. Just picture the scene. If you were, if you were standing on a, a high street and there were a load of people walking down that street, they, you, and you've, you're holding a sign, come and get your Botox, whatever. They are not, unless you wave that sign around, 
if you stand with your back to the, the shop, they're not going to see you. So we, we must get their attention. And there are various ways you can do that, which I teach in my course. And I've got a webinar actually coming up, which is going to be teaching all of this. But you, if you don't do that, that kind of like that, you literally have to slap them, especially this day and age when we have so much content out there that they are they're scrolling. Um, so you have to get their attention and then you have to be obsessed with their problems. You know, what are they, what's blocking them from booking? Because every human being has a desire. They want to, it'll be different for different patients. Maybe they want to look sexy on their date. Maybe they want to just feel like they've got their shit together because they're going into a new job. Maybe they just, these, these jowls are just really winding them up every time they look, every time they put their makeup on. That's their desire. But what's standing, let's say that you have all those desires right now. And let's say that I'm standing here and I am offering you to have dermal filler. There's something, why aren't you taking action? Why aren't you knocking my door down? There are fears in the way. And your job as a marketeer is to educate them over those fears. And it's not just education. You can connect with them online through humor, for example, by kind of making them be like, oh yeah, that's what I'm like, you know, with, with a funny meme, for example. But that's, it's, it's that gap between them. But the, the, I would say the thing I'm most proud of as a marketeer, it's not the, you know, the awards or speaking on stage or anything like that, or even the money. The thing I'm most proud of as a marketeer is my Google Photos. I have an album called Mind Reading. And that is screenshots of people who said to me, God, Miranda, it's like you're in my mind. That means I'm a phenomenal marketeer. Like it's as simple as that. So you need to become intimate, empathetic, obsessed with your patient, because then when you know what's blocking them, what's in that gap, speak to that and then the money will flow and everything else. But you've got to make them feel heard. Yeah. So you're tapped into their hopes and fears, their reticular activating system. That is essentially the world that you live in. Another way of understanding your hopes and fears is that's the world you live. We all live in a world of the things we're hoping for and the things we're trying to avoid. And if you are immerse yourself in your patient's hopes and fears, you will speak to them directly to their soul. Like it's you're really in tune with their limbic system. Whereas everyone who's going on about their own hopes and fears, um, you basically become invisible because you don't see that stuff. Or just generally talking about what you think you ought to for, for Botox and fillers. The other day, we or we're uh, renovate or we're decorating our house at the moment, and we bought one of those wood paneling that you attach to the wall. It kind of looks fancy, and I bought it. Oh no, I know. I bought some samples of different wood stains. The next day, I got the most genius piece of marketing ever from the company, and it was entitled "Having Trouble Deciding Which Color." And I was like, I literally was having that exact, I'm, I'm up there with the samples holding it. They spoke to my exact problem at that exact moment. I clicked on the email, which is a hard thing to achieve. And I went ahead and, and I was engaged with that company and I bought from them a lot, spent a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great example because how many of our patients are having trouble deciding? Mm -hmm. So, and I often, I realized this with, with my work from a training aspect is that my job is to help people decide. Like that's, your, that's. But you can't help someone decide unless they trust you. And you also can't get them to trust you and know you until you've got their attention. So you, you have to do all this whole sequence of things. Um, and this is hugely related to the goals that they have. You had a goal to make that decision and they knew that and they spoke right to that and they got you to make the decision. But how, how do they know that? These people are probably, in fact, there was a picture of them on the little slip inside the thing that came. There were three men who weren't particularly like me. I don't know whether they started the business because they had a wood problem and they wanted to solve their wood problem. I don't know. I suspect that they've surveyed their audience. I suspect they've asked people like me in a focus group situation or a, an online form or whatever, or they've listened to the complaints that come through. It's called social listening. You have to, in your consultations, wherever you are interacting with your patient, every time they say anything that is a blocker, a pain point, something is stopping them, something that they're free. Oh, my friend said the other day that I shouldn't, you know, be getting that stuff. I shouldn't be, apparently you're not supposed to use cannula on the lip. Great, write it down. Yeah. I, I actually think it's one of the easiest ways to get this information is to just read social media posts from the naysayers because they're, all, they're the number one blocker. Oh, you shouldn't have that, it's poison. Well, you can make content to counteract that exact thing or 
people are just so self-obsessed these days. Well, you can counteract that by explaining that when you've had a good treatment, you actually become better connected with others. But it's, it's just lying everywhere. But when you first see it, you think, oh, it's reasons I'm going to fail. Whereas actually, if you see them as ways you can succeed, you get a completely different approach to all of these blockers. So that, I think that's amazing advice. So the, the context that this comes in is within the context of goals. So I want to explore goals with you because I think... You, you've achieved something which, um, which I think is phenomenal and, re- and really I did not expect it to happen. And it almost feels slightly like magical in terms of how it's played out. But it started with you setting a goal. Now this is relevant because our patients also have goals and all our audience have goals. But I would like them to hear your story of goal setting because I want them to set more exciting goals because... What actually happened with your goal setting is it led us down a really different path in the whole business, even though there was actually no strategic benefit to the business initially. And I had my own resistance around that, as we know. We can talk about that if you like. But it's not, it's actually taken us on an amazing journey, and then you've actually pulled it off. So I would really like to hear about what you think about goal setting and tell us a bit about the the moment that you set the goal, how that felt, and then we can go on to see how it's played out. I think you are referring to my desire. I set a goal in January 2020, went to a conference, which is the best and the biggest marketing conference in the world, Funnel Hacking Live, just before COVID hit. It was amazing. We were loving it. We were like, yeah, this is so cool. And when we got back, I, in fact, it was happened on the plane. So I've been sitting in the audience, 5,000 people there. And it occurred to me in the plane on the way home, I want to speak on that stage. I want to be that person. There's just something in my soul that was calling to me. I call it the angel on the shoulder. You have to get still, as Oprah would say, and listen to that angel because she is trying to tell you stuff all throughout your life. And because I listened and because I'm in a habit of speaking online, I put it on my Instagram stories. I was super scared because at that conference, Tony Robbins, the guy who changed my life, had been speaking. So then you see me, there's the old video footage of me. I'm literally, I say, I'd love to speak on that stage. And then I laugh. I'm like, I'm scared of my dream because I'm like, how dare, who am I to say that I should speak on the stage with Tony Robbins? And then I started to take actions in that direction. I I think before you leave that stage, the the... the uh, so to speak, the first, the first thing I think that's amazing about that is that you told everyone because I think most people's goals they live in their head. They are, they're more like hopes. I think when you once you start telling other people this is what I wanted to do, you also risk judgment. And the, I'll, I'll be open to to tell that my first reaction was one of of negativity, as in because I didn't see the connection with you being on stage and the many problems we had because it's 2019. It was a, quite a hard year for us. Um, in the business, I didn't think this was connected. So my my reticular activating system is saying distraction. Uh, your reticular activating system is saying this is the way, and this is useful because I think a lot of our audience work with their partners. Um, I've learned a lot around how important it is to get goals in alignment, but not have them the same. But the other thing that's even more interesting is to have some faith that your subconscious mind knows something you don't. Mm. So I think, you know, you refer to the angel on your shoulder. I believe your subconscious mind does some complex processing that you can hardly, you don't really know what it is. And it throws these little inspirations in front of you as little carrots to lead you in the path of some ultimate development. That's almost, it's like an act of faith really to listen to it. But, but I, I, I've now seen enough good things come from this and then you've actually pulled it off to really believe you should just listen to that stuff because you, you have no idea other th- of how anything is going to play out. But you, uh, my goal of being super logical and, and strategic and factual, um, it actually is kind of limiting in a way that your subconscious mind might not be. So to follow your dream uh, and then see what happens, really commit to it is, 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 a, is a real act of bravery, but it's also... It is amazing what can happen. So, sorry, I just wanted to, to clarify that because that's one of the things that I found most amazing from it is that you said something that at the time was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we are, we are nobodies. No one's heard of us. <laughs> There's 7,000 people in this audience and millions of people in his audience overall. 
why on earth would you get to talk on Funnel Hacking Live stage? It didn't sound like anything was likely to happen, but you had three years to start to move in the general direction and you made various decisions that got you close to that. One of them was was paying for much better training. We spent an absolute fortune on, uh, which is all paid off because training is the best investment you'll ever make. Uh, something else that I've had driven home over time. Um, and, and lo and behold, it happened. But carry on your story, but I... I just want people to understand that it, you don't always have to have that that laser-sharp strategic plan to follow what feels like an emotional, just a, a journey that you want to go on. Yeah. I think we talk a lot about, sometimes there's a, I think one of the reasons our partnership works so well is because you are very, I mean, you're in touch with your emotions, of course, you're a sensitive modern man, but you are a masculine man. You know, you're logical, you're, you're calm, you, you know, you have gravitas, you, you are my rock in a lot of times if I'm flipping out. But I am a very feminine, like, whoosh, like, and your mum was like that, wasn't she as well, which is probably one of the reasons you've been attracted to me. And, and when, I, when I get a feeling, it kind of comes up and I, and I, and I pursued the feeling. So I took various steps. So um, we, the, the, the um, this Funnel Hacking Live is run by a guy called Russell Brunson. And we went and paid $50,000 a year to go and be in his highest level training. So that was one step that we took that I kind of pushed us. And I pushed us to even go to that conference. You know, that conference cost us a lot. And you were all along for the ride, like, go on then, you know, okay. Then the next big thing happened to me in this dream is that we were in Mexico this year again with the Russell Brunson's crew and I really started to believe there was a particular topic I wanted to speak on which was about haters so I I have lots of haters and I smash them and I make um content out of it which ends up making me money so it's this amazing amazing beautiful you know, circle. And I was sitting in the audience in Mexico, much smaller audience, but I'm like, this needs to be said. And then we were there for both the conference. And then we had a holiday on the end as well. We were driving to Chichen Itza, the seventh wonder of the world. And I'm literally in the back of the car, writing down my pitch for what I wanted to say to Russell. I was going to DM him literally. And interestingly, I didn't tell you that. Now I wasn't trying to hide anything from you. I was just quietly working on my dream. You know, it's like I could have been on TikTok looking, but no, I was just writing a pitch. And I think sometimes what I did was I spoke my dream out to the world, but then I quietly got on with it. I didn't share every moment with you. And I think that's probably quite a good balance to have. I heard Sarah Blakely, who is the youngest self-made billionaire she made Spanx I, I heard her saying that she didn't tell anyone about Spanx for a year not her close not her parents not her closest friends for a whole year and the reason she said is because actually they would have come in with their well-intentioned objections they love her but they would have said and they did as soon as she told them oh that's wonderful Sarah but uh, the big boys are just going to steal your idea if it really is a good idea the big boys are just going to steal it that would have impacted her lizard brain. Her ego would have said, oh God, and she wouldn't have made those steps to work on the dream. So I did tell you guys, but then I didn't go on about it to you. I just worked away in the background. And then the next thing that happened was Russell actually announced a competition. I never pitched him, he, but he announced a competition for us to pitch him in a minute and a half video. Guess what? I was ready to go. I had my pitch and everything fell into, into alignment and I and I got the, I got it. And now I'm speaking in front of 7,000 people about marketing in September. Yeah. yeah, in Florida. And I have no idea where it's going to lead, but I have faith that it's going to create something of huge value. So, and th this is, this is what's really helped me understand this. So first of all, those friends who give you negative feedback, it, they're trying to help, but they have a different understanding of the world. They also don't see your goal. They also don't they haven't had the same experience that makes it make sense, if you know what I mean. It sounds, your idea that's just a sentence doesn't have any context. So you had deep personal context. I'm not even just talking about your goal. I mean, you as a person over your lifetime, that's the context. There's something that leads you in that direction. And I think one of the things I've learned and tried to grapple with myself is, is just, it's okay to just want things that you want. Um, now this doesn't work if you're a bad person, but most people are good people. I, I really believe most people are trying their best to make the world better, not worse. 
And if you're the kind of person who wants the world to be better and you want something, there's probably something in pursuing it. And you may have to do some things that you didn't anticipate having to do to get there, which are better for everyone else. But you you should listen to the things you want and you don't need to justify them to anyone else, including your own husband. Now, it helps if he understands, but at the same time, it's okay if he doesn't because you still have to you have to pursue that. It's actually the most fundamental expression of individuality that there is, my goals. What are you if, you're, if you don't have your own goals? You're, you're someone else's bitch, basically. So having your own goals is a, is a fundamental part of becoming a full person. And that means having them even in the face of resistance because that's the nature of goals because we all have different goals. So your partner, as much as they may, may love you, may see your goal in conflict. And I think one of the things I've taken in terms of relationship-wise is try to get your goals in alignment. But also remember, if you have a goal to stay together and be happy for a lifetime, then sometimes your goal is your partner's goal. And mm. you just The have, seasons, I think, as well. It'll be yeah. a certain thing, certain time. You, you don't give up your goals at the same time, but you try and have a bit of leeway. And I've actually seen this even with our business partner, Lee. So he, he, had, he had a goal of paying off his mortgage sooner. I, I personally have a different approach. I don't think mortgages are that bad. It's cheap money. You can put the money somewhere else. But we helped him in terms of what we did within the business to make that a reality. And what I got as a payback, which I wasn't expecting, is now he's more risk tolerant. And he's up for doing things that I hadn't, that previously he was more scared of doing. And that's the kind of weird payback you get from trying to collaborate with each other to solve each other's problems and meet each other's goals. And there's an act of faith involved here and you've got to do it with the right people. You don't want to meet some narcissist goals because they're never ending. You want to find good people with different goals who you can collaborate together to achieve those goals and see what you build with the, with the real payback. Because the real payback for you is not going to be that you stood in front of 7,000 people. It's going to be that when you get off that stage, you're going to be a different person. You will have experienced something, and we don't actually know what that's going to do to you, but I almost certainly can predict you're going to have an increase in confidence, and it's going to probably give you a bigger idea and something else you want to do, and off we go on a new adventure, and that's really the purpose of all this stuff. And I think you, you said that the partner takes it as an act of faith, that your dream is the right one. But I think we also are scared of our own dreams and we're also acting in faith. You know, I don't, I think to myself, oh my, I'm scared of going in front of 7,000 people. But I also know there's something in me that is the seed of, and I kind of think to myself, why not me? You know, I, I don't think anyone else, I, I've learned this, that this is a really important lesson. I've learned over the years of doing business that we are all just monkeys in shoes. There is no one, not one person, not Taylor Swift, not, you know, the King of England who thinks that they are, who, who doesn't have self-doubt, who doesn't, you know, have to like wipe their children's bum and deal with tantrums they've had in public. We all go through those human experiences. So why not me? Yeah, I think it's, it's something interesting that happened to us as we developed in the businesses that people started to think, particularly like new staff, and they start to tell a story in their head about what your life is like. And it always jarred with me. Like they used to think, oh, you know, you must have everything so all right for you, love, kind of thing. And you're like, what are you talking about? This is really hard and I'm really struggling here. And they're like, well, yeah, but your problems are so much easier than my problems. Like, and, and actually, we're all basically the same on different continuum. And we're all up against some, there's some element of stability, some element of potential growth and some element of threat. And we're all constantly dealing with that, no matter where you are on the spectrum. So, but I, I like that question of why, why not you? Because that's probably, it's a bit like the whole idea of not waiting for permission. If you have a goal, why not you? Why, why not you be the one who achieves that? There's no, there's no reason. Why not try? The other interesting question is why not try even if you fail? That's another interesting part of goal setting, which I like, because even if you hadn't got this competition, you hadn't won this competition, we still got tons from you trying. And you've got lots from you trying. So he may not have done a competition like this, but you still would have learned a lot because you're moving in that direction. So sometimes your goal isn't actually about the actual achievement of the specific thing. It's just about moving the direction of your potential. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of goals much more like that now. And instead of thinking of them as a, as a reward or as a measure of you, they're just a direction you need to go in. So start going and see what happens. As Miley Cyrus said, it's the climb. You know, it's not about 
the destination. It's not about, it's, it's about going up that mountain. And as you go, you feel trust in yourself and it allows you, I, because I did brave things along the way, I've seen other opportunities that have come up. I've built other connections, but you've got to be on the journey. You've got to be in it to win it. You've got to be in it to, to trust yourself along the way. And I think it's actually really beautiful. It's beautiful to see a human being vulnerable and going for what they want. And no, like just coming back to this point around cheering, no one is going to cheer you on. You have, we've had this conversation, haven't we? You know, even between us, of course we support each other. We love each other and we, we, we want each other to succeed. But when you wake up in the morning, you open up your eyes. We don't turn to each other and say, how are you getting on with that goal of yours? Yay for you. It's like, you're just on with your own goal. So it's better, I believe, to not wait for your partner, not, not resent them, you know, not wait for someone to cheer you. No one is going to cheer you. It's you, yourself and you. Yeah. I, I do think you need common goals that unite you. Like for Lee and I, wildly different lives, but we have a common goal with the business. We both enjoy building. So that's pretty much the only thing we have in common because within the business, we operate really differently. So often he has different goals, but we have, we're united by that endpoint. And same for you and I, obviously we're primarily husband and wife and we have goals around family that unite us. But within the business, when the other things, we have different goals, but I do think they're linked. So I, I think it's hard if your goal is perceived to be completely unlinked to anything in, that's happening in the family. And that, that, that is one thing that you as a couple need to work on. Like, because I've, uh, in whatever, whatever reason in my mind, I've linked your goal to one of my goals mm. and I didn't do that immediately. Yeah, we've had, well, I think it's worth saying like we've had, it, it's been tricky. Like when I first, in 2016, had my breakthrough, started talking about mindset and ultimately marketing online, building up, you know, a big Facebook group, going live, doing all the things, daily posting. And I think there was a point where you looked at me and were like, you're doing quite a lot over here, you know, and, and I, there was, there were other things that, that I was neglecting. And I think at that, that was a good thing where you communicated that to me, but you did it in a constructive way. You weren't like, what's all this bollocks you're doing? You were like, okay, I see you're doing that. That's cool. You're doing well, but let's bring it back into alignment. And, and, and the way actually we did that was I found a way to monetize that which then brought it back into alignment because then we, I was bringing money into the into family coffers. But you have to have those conversations. Yeah, it's kind of about where the energy is flowing. Is the flowing? Is it flowing just out into the ether, or is it coming back? Now, if it's your goal, you know it's coming back because it's doing something for you. Yeah. Uh, if it's if you don't see the connection, it looks like the energy is flowing elsewhere, and that can just be a blindness. It's not necessarily that it is flowing that way. But what I always try and do is just strategically structure the energy so that it's it's nurturing everything yeah um that and that's the more maybe it's more masculine thing the hunter who's yeah. narrow, narrow and focused uh versus the the gatherer who's more like there's berries everywhere and we'll just roam <laughs> so um anyway use, useful to know i'm sure there are many people who uh, have conflict with their partner over having different goals yeah. and and seeing how you can bring them into alignment will help a lot of people so we've discussed a huge amount in this podcast but what would you say is the one thing you'd like people to go away with Marketing feels hard at the beginning until you get into a rhythm, but you ain't getting into any rhythm unless you're willing to go through that pain and keep going. I don't know whether this is a book elsewhere in the world, but we have in England, we have a very famous children's book called Bear Hunt. And these parents and kids are going, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. And they come across these obstacles. Uh oh, a swamp, a deep, dark swamp. Can't go over it, can't go under it, got to go through it. And that's what they do the whole way until they find the bear. If you want success online, if you want to get those customers, you've got to go through, get over yourself, get out of your own way, be rubbish at the beginning and keep doing it until you believe in yourself and your customers will believe in you too. And you need to remember why you're doing it. Because if you just say, go and face some fear and uncertainty, and you haven't got a reason, naturally you won't do it. You know, I learned a lot from having a, a golden retriever puppy. They don't do anything without an incentive. And it's the same. It's the same for humans. Like you need a reason to go through that forest. Yeah. So what I've learned from you is the power of exciting big goals and believing that they're going to take you somewhere where you need to go. 
and then the bravery of taking small steps. So it doesn't have to be the huge step, just progress in the general direction you want to go. You, and of course, the other element you just mentioned is it it's normal for it to feel uncomfortable because you've never done it before. But if you keep the faith and move in direction, then amazing things can happen for you. Trust the process. Okay. Where can my followers keep track with your development, watch more about Funnel Hacking Live and uh, learn more from you? I am known for being a big ball of energy. So if you want to hang out with me online and receive that energy and let it inspire you daily, then the best place is my Instagram at Miranda Pierce Mindset. And if you, I said trust the process, but what is the process? What are the sequential steps we need to take to get customers online? I'm doing an amazing free webinar. If you click the link in the description, then there is a link through to the wait list because this is going to be massive. I'm going to be doing it in the, the webinar. It's it's live on the internet, but I'll be doing it in Florida. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best party of the whole year. And I'm going to try and contribute some value for that to make it extra exciting. So we'll see what else we come up with that makes the people who have signed up to that list extra special uh, and make sure they get tons of value from it. Okay. You've also got a YouTube channel in case you forgot. I have got a YouTube channel. Get involved <laughs> in my YouTube channel. Lots of nice marketing tidbits where, over there. Where do we find that? Is that just search from Randy Pierce? We'll put a link in the description. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you very much for joining me for it's my, my life. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> for the last 24 years. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.